The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You are inside the QB factory where our magical development dust makes dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kist, and this is episode four, brought to you by the Five at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. As always, I am joined by quarterback one in our hearts, in our minds, he is Mark Schofield. Follow his work at Mark Schofield on Twitter at the Touchdown Wire. Matt Waldman's RSP, Pat's Pulpit, their, their podcast feed there as well. The guy does uh, a lot of things for a lot of people, but we love him here at Bleeding Green Nation. We're going to talk some quarterbacks. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, my friend. Great to be back with you. We took a bit of a hiatus, which was discovered and noticed by the timeline. There are a lot of people on the timeline wondering when we're going to come back. So we're back. We are back. Yeah. Um, As always, we start with a historical reference. And as we've said on this show before and in the previous version, the QB Sco Show, if you want a historical reference... Look outside, you know, <laughs> turn on a television. I mean, we're living through a pandemic. We've got protests going on nightly. I mean, we are living history. And to that sense, to that point, a lot of people have tried to make sort of historical comparisons, which is something we've done, right? We talked about the Spanish flu of 1918. You know, we cool. talked about that on the show. A lot of people, Scott McGill, for example, a friend of the show, you know, gentle listener, chef in the Brandywine area has said that we should compare it to sort of the Boston massacre, right? Well, we've talked about that on this show. And another comparison that people have made or have tried to make to the current moment we're living through is 1968, right? You know, protests in the streets. You had a lot of stuff going on. And anytime you bring up 1968, there is only one person in terms of a some that would be writing about that era that comes to mind for me. Literally only one person for me. Literally what? It's Hunter S. Thompson. That's correct. That's that's it. That's, that's the, the list. Guy. Mike, you and I have talked before about how, shall we say, magical it would be to have Hunter S. opining on the time that we're living through. Ugh. And I just want to give people just a snippet, just a taste, just a, a moose-bouche, if you will, of what we could have gotten. This is Hunter S. Thompson on the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, which had riots, people being beaten in the streets. Like, it was brutal, okay? Yeah. From Hunter S. Thompson, quote, nobody sent me to Chicago. I had a contract to write a book. I got an advance on it. The working title was, quote, the death of the American dream, close quote. I had no idea what it meant. I didn't care what it meant. I just wanted money from a publisher and I wanted to write something else. I tried to sell Random House on a book that Tom Wolfe eventually wrote on the whole psychedelic thing, The Next Uprising. I called Silberman Collect one morning from Dick Alpert's house in Palo Alto. 
crazed on acid. <laughs> I spent about half an hour with the phone in my hand, holding it out to Silberman so he could hear the sound of a bee buzzing in a lilac bush. Meanwhile, I was trying to sell him on sending me $10,000 for an advance on the book. He took it in a good-humored way, but he rejected the idea. So what came up was this, Death of the American Dream. And I thought, well, the best way to do that is to take a look at politics. The first thing I did after I signed the contract was to go up to the New Hampshire in primary in 1968 to do an article on Nixon. That was just an excuse. I wanted to see politics working. A presidential campaign would be a good place, I thought, to look for the death of the American dream. And by the time I went up to write the piece on Nixon in New Hampshire, I got to know all the McCarthy people because he was running at the same time. Johnson was still president and hadn't quit yet. McCarthy had no chance, supposedly. And I just happened to get mixed up with his people because they were sort of my kind of people, like Cy Hirsch, who was McCarthy's press secretary at the time. So when Chicago came around, my head had gotten into politics. And I thought, well, if we're going to have a true bad guy up there, I might as well go. I went totally prepared. You don't take a motorcycle helmet to Chicago normally without a motorcycle. And I still got the crap beaten out of me by the police. <laughs> I mean, how great would Hunter be right now? Oh, he would be amazing. Like, it's a travesty that, that he is not around to cover this era because what he did during the Nixon era was just absolutely fantastic. And football is like a, a, a great unifier for people in a way because Nixon had actually invited Hunter S. to come and talk with him about yep. football and Packers yep. and Lombardi and whatnot. And, like, they were able to talk about it. They had to tell Hunter, like, hey, we're just talking about football here. We know right. how you feel about Nixon, but he really does like your football writing. And if you go through like his old work, his football writing is really good. Like I could read this whole passage. I'm not going to. But it's basically like a scouting report of like Miami Dolphins wide receiver Paul Warfield. And I'm like, this guy sat down with football players and watched film and whatnot. So he was a he was a football junkie too, which is which is dope. So he's got some football writing in there that I love. But yeah, and we forget at the end of his career. He wrote for Page Two at ESPN. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that was obviously Simmons' precursor to Grant Land and the Rinner and all that. But, like, you go to his first column at Page Two. Hi, folks. My name is still Thompson, and I still drink gin with ER nurses at night. But in one particular way, I am a new man, a different man, a more dangerous man than I was the last time we talked. And that was a few weeks ago, eh? Like, he still had the fastball, like, writing for Page Two, which is. Yeah. Just mind blowing to think about. So, like Hunter S, we are we are big fans of football as well, and we talk about it and we write about it. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the, the the skill that he has in explaining these things, but we're going to try anyway. And what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to have a couple of shows. This show is going to talk about potential breakouts in year two for quarterbacks around the league. So you're talking about quarterbacks that were drafted in the 2019 NFL draft. The next show we'll talk about potential third year breakout so all the quarterbacks selected in 2018 so the contenders in this one are kyler murray of the arizona cardinals daniel jones of the new york giants Dwayne Haskins of Washington, Drew Locke of the Denver Broncos, Gardner Minshew of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and of course, you have to include fourth-round selection of the New England Patriots, Jared Stidham. Yeah, we do, Mark. Do we? we do. We're going to we? talk about it. Do we have <laughs> so, to? Look, I, I won't tease my answer in terms uh, of who I think has the best chances to break out. And that's former first overall selection, Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. Two big factors in that is A, protecting him Murray took 48 sacks last year which was tied for most in the league and the other which I mean it also ties into protection seeing him push the ball down the field more 
His intended air yards of 7.1 last year was in the bottom third of the league. Adding DeAndre Hopkins in one of the biggest heists I can remember likely helps that out. Uh, it, it would also help if one of the other second-year guys, that receiver like Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, if they took a step up as well. And we've talked about this before, Mark, with the Cardinals, but I thought this Cardinals offense really started to come together in the second half of the season. From the first half of the season to the second half, they moved from bottom third in touchdown drive frequency to top third. Things certainly seem to be clicking much better as uh, players grasp the offense, what they were supposed to be doing. And even with the warts on the offensive line, I think Murray is going to be able to hide and mitigate some of that with his athleticism, with his, you know, escapability. Are you in the same boat with me here as far as having Murray as like your top guy to break out next year? Yeah, I I think so. There are two reasons why Murray's probably the easiest guy to bet on in terms of having that year two breakout. One, the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins, right? Yeah. Like, this is a team that ran so much 10 personnel last year, four receivers, one running back, more than any other team in the league. I think they ran it like 48% of the time, which is, you know, almost astronomical. For 10 personnel, that's like, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. But now you're talking about a 10 personnel package with DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and someone from the Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson trio. Yeah. With Kenyon Drake as your running back. Right. That's a pretty good 10 personnel package. Mm. So there's that. And let's face it. Teams aren't going to start on-field work together as units until training camp. Like, we're not getting OTAs. We're not getting rookie minicamp and things like that. He's playing for Cliff Kingsbury in the same system from last year. Whereas a lot of these other guys, Drew Locke, you know, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, they're going to have to learn a new system. Hmm. And so if you're going to bet on one of these guys to sort of have that breakout, those two things really work in his favor. But you sort of hit it. The pressure thing is a problem. You know, two of the quarterbacks that get sacked 48 times last year were in the NFC West, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. Yeah. All right. Russell Wilson had an adjusted completion percentage when pressured of 66.7, which was, I think, seventh best in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. Murray? 56.7. That ranked him 25th among qualified passers, putting him ahead of players like Josh Allen and Mitchell Trubisky, but behind Darnold, Kyle Allen, and Daniel Jones. And so he's going to have to get better at handling pressure. And he has the skill set to do it, the athleticism, the ability to make some anticipation throws, the ability to make some quick reads, but that is something to watch. Murray is our top breakout. Now we have to talk about some some guys in the NFC East here that that went after that. These are both first-round quarterbacks. Daniel Jones first, of course, from the New York Giants. Jones has some things to clean up, but I think we can all say that he played better than what a lot of people, including ourselves, expected in 2019. Now, the big test is if he falls into a sophomore slump or continues to improve. The Giants have continued to dump resources into the offensive line to make life easier for him in that regard. Uh, It's worth noting that I'm not sure he played a single game with all of his playmakers available at the same time in terms of Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, and Saquon Barkley. So just being healthy could be a solid boost in terms of supporting cast, which is so important for quarterback success. Uh, Obviously, the big bugaboo for him right now, 18 fumbles is far too much. 
Now, he's not the only quarterback in the NFC East with that issue, but it's something that he's got to clean up because there's only so many excuses you can make for that many fumbles. Overall, though, again, I think he was quietly better than we expected, and I think it's reasonable to, to expect a decent season from him in 2020, but not one that I'd necessarily call, you know, like, uh, I'm looking for a breakout type. Mark, where do you stand on his chances of, of door busting 2020? I mean, I think he has the potential. I think it's a bit of a steeper climb for him than Murray and some of the other guys we're going to talk about because he is going to be learning the new offense. And look, Daniel Jones was better than certainly I thought he was going to be. I mean, I remember you and I the next morning, you know, just giggling Giggling. at what Dave Gettleman did because (laughs) then then, let's not forget he went on and drafted sort of a nose tackle at 17. And then DeAndre Baker, who yeah Yeah. has his own issues right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, Some of his own issues. And so, look, it's possible for Daniel Jones to have sort of that quarterback year two leap, right? Like it's certainly possible, but the fumbles are a concern. 18 of them last year, which led the NFL, 11 of which I actually looked this up for a piece I wrote over a touchdown wire, 11 of which directly led to points by the opposition. Wow. He had three of them were actually scooping scores. Okay. (laughs) He had seven other occasions where the opposing offense put together a score and drive. And the only time it didn't, when he lost a fumble, was when Dak Prescott took a knee on the next play because the <laughs> game was over. Like, that's kind of an issue. And a lot of people have said, yeah, they need to fix the offensive line. And that's part of it. But I've been hearing from people in and around that organization that he needs to get the ball out faster. Yeah, for sure. Like, offensive linemen were like, we're blocking for a three step concept, a quick game concept. And we're blocking it for like four seconds and the ball is not out. Like that's not on us. You look at his game against Arizona where he gets sacked, I think, eight times. I went through and did a breakdown sack by sack by sack. A lot of them were on him, like simple concepts. And so the process and speed is going to be an issue, which brings us to learning the new offense in the era of COVID-19. Like how is he going to get up to speed on Jason Garrett's offense, which we expect to be a more downfield approach, which begs the question, you're going to be holding the ball longer in the pocket. Like, how is that going to mesh with what we've seen from Daniel Jones so far? That's sort of my hesitation here is because you're going to be switching to a downfield offense, which requires you to be in the pocket longer. The guy fumbled 18 times last year. Like, <laughs> That doesn't seem to make sense. When, when you looked at his film, and I know one of the big like knocks that we had on him coming out was after he got off of his first read, like the offense in college for him was made pretty easy for him. Like we talked about this with Justin Herbert, like all the perimeter right. throws and having to read the middle of the field and everything like that. And, and Jones's brain in college tended to lock up after that first read. Did you see a lot of that? Was that the reason he was holding onto the ball when the first read's not there? The processing isn't quick enough on the rest of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he, he had an interception against, I think it was Green Bay on sort of a curls sticks concept where he just locked onto that first read. And like, you know, people in the stand selling popcorn were like, yeah, he's throwing that route. Like <laughs> it was just egregious. And so as we see with so many young quarterbacks, like the mental side of it, you know, it needs the most development. Like if you make it to this point in the National Football League, in the football world, like you're a pretty good athlete. Like you're a pretty good player of the position. Yeah. It's the mental side that needs work. And certainly, because remember, our good friend, our mutual friend, Bryce, Bryce Rossler, did the numbers on him at Duke. And like 72% of his throws were like zero and one step drops, yeah. which means it's a one read concept. Yep. And so it was always going to be that hill for him to climb, which was what's going to happen when you have to get to read number two? Forget three and four. Like just get to read two. 
And so that's going to be something critical to watch as he gets to his sophomore year. Yeah, so that's something to watch when you watch him, see how well he gets through his progressions, how fast that happens, and, and watch those sacks and see if it's because of that. That hamsters uh, run a little bit slow up in the old brain ball there. What, what, who would you say has got a better chance uh, between Daniel Jones and the other second-year quarterback in his division, Dwayne Haskins? You know, I think Jones has the better chance. Yeah. What Jones has going for him, and despite, you know, Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman dancing around it at the Combine in their podium sessions, which nobody ignored. Like, that <laughs> caused the thing immediately. Jones is their guy. Like, Daniel Jones is their guy. They're, they're comfortable with him, you know, as their quarterback going forward, at least right now. There isn't that same sense of comfort with Dwayne Haskins in Washington. Look, they added Kyle Allen. You know, who obviously has some familiarity with the new offensive coordinator there, who's, again, a, a transplant from Carolina. Right. And I can tell you from being in this area, I go on DC radio, and a lot of the questions are undercurrents of, is Haskins really the guy? Like, there's a lot of people that don't trust him. And we often see this, you know, with new coaching staffs that come in, like we saw with Josh Rosen. They're just going to get their guy, not the guy that the previous group brought in. And, and so there are questions about Dwayne Haskins. I think it's unfair in a sense because down the stretch last year, I thought Haskins was playing better. You know, you saw the game sort of slow down for him as he went from, you know, his debut against the Giants, which was horrific. Like he had an awful pick six by Jabril Peppers where, shocker, what were we just talking about? Stares down a route. Yeah. Jabril Peppers reads him and partly because Jabril Preppers is lining up on the moon like he was with Greg Williams, like he's at an actual safety depth so we can make the pick six. But then, you know, as he was going through games against Green Bay, he had a game against Philadelphia where if it wasn't for Carson Wentz in that comeback, we might have been talking about, hey, Dwayne Haskins has some legitimacy to him. Yeah. Like he was playing better, but then he had the ankle injury at the end, so it sort of cut his season short. You know, I think there's potential for Haskins. It just doesn't seem like there's that buy-in. And let's not forget, whereas with Jones, we're talking about Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley and, you know, Evan Ingram and it, D- Darius Slayton. We're talking about Terry McLaurin and – Yeah, right. Nobody. Like there are some question marks around Dwayne Haskins in Washington. Yeah. You know, there were some people that thought, you know, some smart people like Benjamin Solak, myself, that thought maybe they trade down, pass on Chase Young because they've got some guys up front on defense and address some other issues. There's not a lot of talent around him on that offensive side of the ball. So I think it's easier to place that bet on Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the buy-in. You mentioned the offensive coordinator change. Scott Turner from the Carolina Panthers comes over to Washington. Kyle Allen, obviously familiar with that system. So if if Haskins isn't able to pick this up quickly, uh, they can't wait around. They got to they gotta pull the trigger and uh, bring out the gong for old yeah. Haskins. So that's going to be... <laughs> Very interesting to watch. In many cities, Washington is no exception. The backup quarterback is the most popular person in town. (laughs) And you're going to see that play out, particularly if Haskins starts to struggle. And this is a city that has been known to sort of have relationships with quarterbacks that linger. (laughs) You know, there are still discussions about Kirk Cousins and RG3 in the Washington Post and a 106.7 in various environs in and around the nation's capital. And so... Yeah, a lot of people still bring up the fact their game against Detroit, he's over on the sidelines taking selfies mm, in case mm. Keenum had to come out and take Anita and the game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that still gets brought up 
to this day. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there are going to be people ready to sort of turn the page on Dwayne Haskins if he throws an incompletion on his first throw of 2020. <laughs> I don't disagree with them either, man. I'm not a Haskins yeah. guy at all. I think there's a lot to fix there. And uh, for him to be a successful starter in the league in 2020, I don't think that reveals itself that quickly if that's what he is. All right. When we come back here on the QB Factory, we're going to go to the uh, AFC and talk about a few guys, including <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> yeah, Patriots. We're going to have to yeah, talk yeah, about no, them. No, that's no. coming up next here on the QB Factory. And we are back here on the QB Factory, Episode 4, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. So we're talking about potential second-year breakout players, and of course, we have to talk about the apple of Denver's eye. Denver Broncos fans are all in on Drew Locke, and I am not. And look, QB wins uh, was a bad argument for Blake Bortles, Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky, Andy Dalton, and so on. And QB wins is a bad argument for Drew Locke. I don't care if he went 4-1 and one as a starter. And look, there were some nice moments there, but I'm nowhere near sold on the guy. It's a tiny sample size. If there's anything causing me some hesitation with just saying he flat out falls in his face in 2020, it's the group of wide receivers that they put around him, obviously. Cortland Sutton is an actual antelope. You add the rookies, Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. They have three different types of receivers with their own unique trump cards. You added Noah Fant to that, to that group as well. I love the way all of that's set up. But like you mentioned, it, it, the offensive coordinator situation there, you go from uh, a Rich Gangarello quarterback-friendly type offense to a Pat Shermer offense. There's definitely some differences there. And if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. And I have a feeling that even if Locke is decent enough to hold his starting job throughout the year, he's always going to be the little brother to Patrick Mahomes. So none of it matters anyway. Mark, your thoughts. Eat at Arby's. Because <laughs> none matters. of it matters. No, look, again, similar to, to Murray, the case for Drew Locke is twofold in a sense. One, it's that 11 personnel package they can put around him. And mm. you outlined it. Look, you've got Court and Sutton. You've got KJ Hamler in the slot. You've got Jerry Judy, who fell to them, which was a tremendous draft yep. pick for them. You've got the tight end and Noah Fan, too. Look, took a while to get going. We see that from rookie tight ends, but certainly looks like somebody that can contribute. And now in his second year, we're expecting a bit of a bump for him as well. You add in the fact that you're going to be having, you know, Philip Lindsay and or Melvin Gordon as the running back in that 11 personnel package. That's a pretty good package to put around a quarterback. So that's a good thing. Also, Pat Schumer, you know, Pat Schumer, whatever you want to say about him, let's not forget what he did for Case Keenum, right? Like <laughs> he made Case Keenum into a, an attractive option on the open market. And that was an offense that was built around play action, taking some deep shots downfield. And you go back to that 2017 season, you want to talk about adjusted net yards per attempt? <laughs> you know, 7.03 put Case Keenum seventh in the league back in 2017. Like he was up there with Jared Goff, Drew Brees, Alex Smith, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Case Keenum. Like that's your top seven that year. And so there's a potential where you could have that sort of similar offense. You've got some threats in Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon that will set up the play action stuff. You've got some guys in Sutton and Hamler and Judy that can do some stuff downfield working off of play action. That could all sort of play into Drew Locke and what he could do. The question becomes, how much do you trust Drew Locke, the quarterback? Do you trust him as much as Kyler Murray? Well, apparently some people at ESPN do because we just saw that crazy. You know, redraft of all 32 teams where he went off the board before Kyler Murray. I wouldn't go there. That's you know, I, I think if we're ranking candidates to have that year two jump, it's Murray and maybe it's Locke next. You know, because of the weapons around him, you know, because of what Pat Shermer can possibly do with what we've seen him do with Case Keenum, but I'm not putting him over Murray. Like, no way. 
Like, I, I need to see more than just a five-game sample size to go all in on Drew Locke. I know Denver fans love him, and great. Look, stand for your guy. I get it. For sure. I'm not ready to go there, though. Right. I, I think he's got, uh, of any of these guys, because of the sample size as well, I think he's got the highest variance on how I feel, like, where his ceiling could be, where his floor could be. You mentioned Case Keenum. Do you think, like, overall is his ceiling Case Keenum? Case Keenum threw a bunch of freaking touchdown passes in college, but one year didn't he have like 45 or something like that? But like, yeah, does Locke feel like a kind of a guy that could have a couple of solid seasons and with the right supporting cast can get you through? But th- but he needs that to a point where it's a detriment. I get it. I get a real sort of Kirk Cousins vibe. OK, like it, it maybe it's similar, right, where he's not a guy you win because of. But he's that proverbial guy you win with, like in the right system. You know, he could be sort of that distributor. He might have some Matthew Stafford like peaks. Mm. Like that's certainly possible. Like the play style is there, the velocity is there. You know, but he's going to have some Jay Cutler type valleys to him as well, where you're going to see some games where he's going to come out and throw like three picks. And so I think you could have averaged that out. It's a Kirk Cousins type situation. Look at these stats for Case Keenum in college. I just put them up because I said it. But oh, <laughs> ridiculous numbers. 2008, 44 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. 44 touchdowns, 15 interceptions in 2009, uh, 2009. Then he got injured the next year. But in 2011, 48 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. What a stud that, in college. That's like NCAA 14 kind of numbers, man. <laughs> right, exactly. Like that's, that's like, man, you know, you know, Coach Doug's, you know, who actually just <laughs> – Dropped the big L to Virginia Tech in the national championship game. Oh, that's a shame. I was, Not to go too far afield, I was trying to explain this whole Coach Doug's NCAA 14 phenomenon to my wife the other day. And as somebody that spends a ton of time on Twitter, as somebody that spends a ton of time on social media, like I've had some awkward conversations where I'm trying to explain something to my wife and she's just like, well, what are you talking about? This is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard. This was probably the lowest when I'm talking about how people are watching Big Cat, you know, play NCAA 14, bet on the game, and then get personally invested on where Coach Duggs goes next. And she just looked at me like, I felt like it was a divorce situation. Like my marriage is fine, but like that was the closest I felt where she was just like, what have I tied myself to? It's like the hyper-realization of the teenage dream that you have when you're playing through, like, these career modes and, like, NCAA right. or Madden or whatever. And, like, I mean, plenty of people go to, like, Operation Sports or whatever to, like, post their franchise and, and, and like, make it, like, this real scenario. And, like, people have discussions with them and whatnot. It's just somebody really popular doing it and, yeah. and people are invested in it now. It's, like, this weird you always like kind of wanted to do it when you were younger playing those games and have people actually like understand what the hell you, cause you're pouring so much time into it. Like right. I, for, for instance, I, I bought FIFA like not too long ago. I played over 180 games. I'd love to be able to share some of that success and not just like think I'm just some weirdo loner playing a soccer game that never, none of it matters. Like it's an eat RV situation. Yeah. <laughs> I hit 125 matches last night <laughs> and I hit 125 and scored a couple of goals in a world cup qualifier playing for England. You know, and I was pretty proud about it. There you go. There yeah. you go. See? At some point, I will tell the gentle listeners another story I told my wife about what I did online the summer before I started law school. Oh, boy. I'm not going to do it now. It's a teaser for later. But it's something I think you, sir, will appreciate. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to have to to remember that. I'm going to write that, that down. that for later. <laughs> so, okay. Let's talk about these last two quarterbacks here. Do we have to? Yeah. I'm just going to give you an either or, Mark. Um, better chances of breaking out. 
the mustachioed jorts wearing Gardner Minshew or the international man of mystery because nobody knows if he's actually even a real quarterback in real life. Uh, Jared Stidham of the New England Patriots. Who you got? The, uh. the Vegas odds are weird because the Vegas odds have like Stidham for like MVP like up there. Stidham with, like, has better numbers than like I went through this yesterday. Yeah. On my show, he's, he's a better. He's like, yeah, he's better numbers than Stafford, Derek Carr. Like this, <laughs> this is doing? insane. And you know, if New England somehow makes this like strange miracle run deep into the playoffs, like yeah, Stidham's gonna get MVP votes, votes because quarterbacks do. But in all likelihood, it's gonna be on the backs of their defense, yeah. right? Like I, I've used this expression before. Uh, Dave Archibald um, over at Inside the Pylon and other places has talked about how. Belichick's trying to gear up to win 17-14 rock fights. Like, that's what he's trying to do. You know, you got a bunch of running backs and tight ends, and they're going to, you know, it's going to look like the start of the Brady era, where they're going to throw it like 27, 28 times a game. You know, they're going to try to win with a ball-controlled offense. You know, it's not like they're going to, like, run the wing tee or something. If they can get something like they only, they only had four games last year where they allowed over 20 points. Like, yeah. you can win those games. You know, it, it, you don't need to win shootouts with a defense like that. Yeah. Like, you just need to be able to put up 24 points. I think they could do that. But at the same time, yeah, <laughs> look, they've got a ridiculous schedule, though. Yeah. I mean, NFC West, first place schedule, mm. AFC West. Like, you're getting Mahomes. Like, think about the quarterbacks they have to go up against this year. Mahomes, Lamar, Deshaun. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen twice, whatever you want to say about Josh Allen, like mobile quarterbacks have given, you know, the Patriots fits in the past. Like, they've got a tough slate. Well, you mentioned Josh Allen and not Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at this. I'm tweeting no, that I, out. I, I, I slipped Garoppolo in there. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't hear it because you were waiting for me to tee up Josh Allen. You knew that was coming. <laughs> no, I mean, look. They could go 8-8 eight and, eight and Belichick could have done the best job of his entire career as a coach. Like, oh, yeah. I, I firmly believe that. So, But look, Gardner Minshew showed last year that he was a starting quarterback in the National Football League, right? Like I, the mental processing was there. And let's not forget, you know, I always flash back to what Gardner told me at the Senior Bowl. You know, the Mike Leach offense gets you ready to play in the NFL much more than the quote-unquote pro-style college offenses do. And yes, he hit me with the air quotes when he did that. Yeah. So it was just tremendous. But you're talking about like making progression reads and working the field sideline to sideline. Like he does that. Chris Conley, DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, maybe not the best three wide receivers, but I love LaVisca Chenault. And if they use him the right way, that could be an offense that could do some things that could sort of cause defenses some problems. Yeah. And, and so given that we have a body of work to bet on, from Minshew versus Stidham, I'm going to bet on Minshew over the, uh, out of these two. Like, I think Stidham can be a good quarterback in the NFL. He showed at the Senior Bowl when he was in Shanahan's offense that he could run a system and run it well. There were times I thought he was the best quarterback down there, better than Jones and Locke. Yeah. But that's a sterilized environment. Like, let's all forget, Belichick put him in a garbage time against the Jets. And he threw a pick six, yeah, yeah. like immediately. And then you saw number 12 running back out there because <laughs> Belichick was like, look, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and, and, and so we're going to need to see it from Jared. We haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you mentioned the wide receivers there and you kind of threw some shade on DJ Chark and I'm a little bit upset with you because that's... Uh... Look, DJ's good. Okay. DJ's your boy. Our, our mutual friend, Joey Ferriol, 
loves DJ as well. It's it's the Conley Westbrook question. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's the totality of of, yeah. of the group and the weapons that you're working with, and the coaches and, and the supporting cast that you're working with too, which are a big difference between Jacksonville yeah, and New England. At the same time, though, Jay Gruden, we've talked about him on this show yeah. and the previous version, you know, the Scotia show. Jay Gruden, when he was with Colt McCoy and Mark Sanchez, was still dialing up the shot plays. Like, look, we're just gonna slint it, like. I think there's potential there. I mean, the big ham, the big anchor might be Doug Marone. Hmm. Like Doug Marone is probably going to be in the in the coaching offices in the conference rooms. To, you know, we're going to hand it to Leonard Fournette 35 times a game because studies have shown when you run it 45 times a game, you win games. <laughs> like I'm sure he's a subscriber to that mode of thinking. Yeah, I, I agree. So my my top three breakouts, yeah, my my candidates, I'd go Kyler Murray. Then I'd go Daniel Jones, and then I'd go Drew Locke, just for a lack of really anything else that I think I can I can believe in it. In what we call a true quote unquote breakout season, would yeah. would you agree with those three in that in that order? Would you have the same, or would you flip somebody? I have those three, but I would go Murray Locke Jones. Okay, I, I'm excited about what they have around Drew Locke. Yeah. there are some questions about you know Ingram's health, Shepard's health, health around Daniel Jones. Um, you know, have them, you know, Murray Locke Jones, Murray Jones Locke. You know, I, I don't really quibble with that too much. Like, I could certainly understand why yeah. you would put them that in order. I think it's Murray 1. I think that's, like, the clearest thing. Yeah. Murray 1, Stidham 6. Mark, any last words for the gentle listeners before we uh, hit the old dusty trail on episode 4 of the uh, of the QB factory? Just remember, guys, Dutch has a plan. God is laughing. All right. <laughs> we'll catch you next time on the QB factory. Gee.